welcome to the Come Follow Me Weekly Wisdom Podcast. My goal is to deepen your faith in and love for Jesus Christ and his gospel. You can best support these podcasts by purchasing one of my books, The Divine Nature and His Voice, The Teachings of the Old and New Testament. These books can be purchased on Amazon or by visiting my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. Thank you. I hope you're ready today because I'm really excited about today's lesson. We're going to be covering a subject that is so significant, one of the most important pieces of our gospel, of our doctrine, and truly it's also one of the great pieces of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So the small little business items I want to rush through before we get into the lesson. Remember, if you have any questions or any feedback, feel free to email me at dmood5k at gmail.com dmood5k at gmail.com and I'm very very grateful for all the support that I've been getting. I hope that you continue to listen and if so feel free to give me five-star reviews that's always helpful for me. So today we're going to be talking about the covenants of the Lord. If you recall in the introductory title page of the Book of Mormon it states one of the primary functions of the Book of Mormon is to teach us, which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord. In Nephi's conversation with the angel in 1 Nephi 14, the angel asks this question to Nephi, Rememberest thou the covenants of the Father unto the house of Israel? The same question then we could pose to ourselves. Do you remember the covenants which God has made with Israel? Do you remember the covenants of the Lord? What are these covenants? Interestingly, the whole idea and all the concepts that are connected with these covenants which God has made with our fathers, specifically Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the ones who get most of the discussion, but we'll see today how it actually expands beyond just Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. This general subject itself is perhaps the largest subject in all of Scripture. Perhaps you could say that the atonement of Jesus Christ is the primary subject in all of the scriptural canon. That might be true depending on how you want to interpret the atonement, because we also have this notion that all things are an appendage of the atonement, and so then technically every scripture you read you'll find some sort of connection to the atonement of Jesus Christ. So then, if you were to be a little bit more precise, you'd have to then say, well, what aspect of the atonement or what specific component of Christ's atonement is the primary subject in all of Scripture? So whether it's first or second, it's not that important. This isn't something that is a contest of that sort. But I would say that either the number one or the number two subject in all of Scripture is the notion of the gathering and scattering of Israel, which we'll find today is completely connected and basically one with the notion of the covenants of the Lord. So today we'll be doing basically what Isaiah encouraged us to do in 2 Nephi chapter 8, as well as I believe Isaiah chapter 52 verse 8. It states, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, and the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. 
Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah, she that bare you. For I called him alone and blessed him. Today we look unto the rock from whence we are hewn. Now this is a, it's a wonderful description. And we may be doing this more from an intellectual basis because as we understand the roots of the covenants of the Lord, we're going to be understanding much about ourselves and our own civilization. The, the whole notion of looking to the rock from whence you are hewn is a really awesome and powerful introspection to think of, think of all the foundation that has been carved, all the foundation that has been laid that I am standing upon. And this is, you can even look beyond just scriptural examples. You look to your parents and your grandparents, particular decisions that they made, particular things that God did to move their lives and influence their lives, which have greatly blessed you. It's such a remarkable thing to do when you start to see that, those examples of parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, each of us in ways that we cannot comprehend have been blessed tremendously by sacrifices of people whom we don't even know. We don't know their faces. We don't understand them completely. And yet, so much of the enrichment of our lives has depended upon the sacrifices of soldiers during the Revolutionary War, soldiers during the Civil War. They are part of the rock from whence we are hewn. But today, our focus will be more so on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when we consider the covenants, the interesting thing is that it is plural, the covenants. You'll find a lot in the scriptures that there is sometimes a specific covenant that is regarded, and that would be the Abrahamic covenant. Oftentimes it's called the covenant. You could, do a, you could do a search through the scriptures, and nowadays with the gospel app, though it has some limitations, it's really, really good. And if you were to do a search for just the covenant without the S, you'll find that the covenant of the Lord is often referring to the Abrahamic covenant. What then is the Abrahamic covenant? What are the covenants of God? So we need to travel back in time a little bit. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, we read the following. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The book of Abraham expands upon the same idea, and we read about the Abrahamic covenant in Abraham chapter 2, verse 9. And I, Jehovah, will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee above measure, and make thy name great among all nations, and thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. And I will bless them through thy name, for as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name, and shall be accounted thy seed, and shall rise up and bless thee as their father. Verse 10 in particular, some things to focus on, that very specific phrase, as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name. We don't have to trace specific bloodlines, though I think there is some relevance in the bloodlines. The most simplistic way of understanding this is, if you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are receiving the gospel of Jehovah. You are receiving the same gospel of Abraham. And in like manner, you would then receive the name of Abraham. 
the father of nations, and you shall be accounted his seed. You will be accounted to be the seed of Abraham, and you will rise up and bless Abraham as your father. This is part of the Abrahamic covenant. The, the, the most broad blessing there is that the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. And specifically, you read, in, if you remember in verse 9, this notion that all nations. So some promise to these, it seems like they were basically nomadic tent dwellers thousands of years ago, living in a circumstance in a place that is so foreign and alien to our understanding. This small little collection, in fact, this one person, the collection of his family, which is really small, God comes to him and says, the entire world will be blessed through you. Could you imagine what that would be like? I mean, you, in, in all of your weakness, with all of your own limitations, to have God come to you and give you a blessing that says the entire world would be blessed. In fact, what we understand is that the blessing of Abraham and the entire world is not just limited to a specific time frame. The world of Abraham in that time was not the world that would be blessed. In fact, it was that, and then ages and ages and ages, generation after generation beyond that. So when we look unto the rock from whence we are hewn, we're looking to the blessings of Abraham, the promises that were given to him, and then, as it says in the book of Abraham, that we will rise up and call him our father. And we can do that with greater confidence as we understand the covenants of the Lord. So the specific phrase that, that demands broader interpretation is, what does it mean that the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham? What does that mean? The other thing is, it says that a great nation, I will make of you a great nation. What exactly does that mean? If you remember from the previous podcast, as we looked at Lehi's dream of the tree of life, and then you have Nephi, the son, expanding upon that. Similarly, we have this very small notion of what the Abrahamic covenant is, and then the subsequent prophets continue to expand this. The Book of Mormon, in particular, expands upon the Abrahamic covenant and the gathering of and scattering of Israel more than any document upon the earth. It expands what this vision is. And vision is so incredibly important because much of our internal motivation comes from the, the underlying dream and the underlying vision. So that same dream and vision that moved and motivated Abraham and the great work that was done back then is the same dream and vision that we have today that motivates the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, I look at this whole notion of the gathering and scattering of Israel as, for me, one of the cornerstones of my belief in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The reason being is I find that the Church of Jesus Christ actually takes this doctrine seriously. This doctrine being one of the most key and critical and talked about topics in all of the Old Testament, that this topic seems to have just kind of been dissolved away over time, but one of the primary purposes of the Book of Mormon was to resurface that, to bring again to remembrance the covenants that were made. And in these covenants, promises, extremely significant promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
promises which are dreamlike. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is attempting to fulfill that dream, to fulfill that vision of our forefathers. This is part of the rock from whence we are hewn. So the, the covenant begins with Abraham, but it was not solely given to Abraham. The way that I look at this is this blessing, this somewhat birthright, continues to get passed down. In fact, in Genesis 26 verse 4, a very similar phrase is given to Isaac. It says, In Isaac's seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So what of Esau? Now, I, I, that's, I would say that's where my knowledge is a little bit limited. Perhaps it is generally through all of Abraham's seed that the world would be blessed, that the nations of the earth would be blessed. Or perhaps that it begins with Abraham, but then more specifically, it would come through Isaac's seed that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, what of Isaac's seed? Isaac had Jacob. Jacob, who later had his name changed to Israel, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 13, it says, In Israel's seed shall the earth be blessed. Earlier I said Esau, in referring to Isaac, it would actually be Isaac and Ishmael, and it's now Jacob and Esau. Sorry for that confusion, but I don't know if this means that specifically Ishmael gets left out of some of the Abrahamic blessings and maybe similarly with Esau. As I said, that's a limitation of my knowledge. I believe that if you, again, I'm not the greatest historian, that I still believe that there are Abrahamic blessings that have flown through Ishmael's seed as well as Esau's seed. But it is worth, no worth noting that there is this specific delineation that Isaac's seed would be the chosen seed in which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then in Genesis 28, 13, which we just reviewed, it then specifically signifies that Israel's seed shall be the seed that would bless all the earth. Genesis chapter 48, verse 20 adds a, a slight twist to the phrasing. So if we look this much I do know in the history is that Israel or Jacob has the, the 12 tribes of Israel. I won't go through all of the names, but it seems as though that in general that those 12 tribes would be, that, that posterity, the 12 tribes that have come from Israel would be those who would bless all of the earth. In Genesis 48 verse 20 though, this is where that twist, it states that in Joseph, specifically the seed of Ephraim and Manasseh, who are Joseph's posterity, shall Israel be blessed. So instead of necessarily Joseph blessing the entire world, which I still believe that they are part of that, that Joseph has this very specific duty to bless Israel. And if you were an honest scholar of the Bible, you'd find all sorts of, sorts of peculiar prophecies about the seed of Joseph. Now, with the Book of Mormon and Latter-day Scripture, we, our comprehension of these covenants and promises that are made to Israel and Joseph are expanded in, in such an incredible way that it allows us to go back into the Bible with keener eyes to be able to pick out some of these. But even so, what we just covered there is very simple and direct. We have Israel, we have Joseph, and these specific covenants that were made to them. 
who actually, among the religions of the world, actually believe in these ideas, who actually believes in these covenants, who actually believes in any significance of the promises that were made with Joseph, who actually believes in the promises and covenants made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the first place to start is, what, what does this have to do with the gathering and scattering of Israel? Be, the, the general idea is that Israel itself, Israel, this broad posterity of Israel, Jacob, and all the way extending back to Abraham, would be scattered. We read in 1 Nephi chapter 22, verse 3, that the house of Israel will be scattered among all nations. Nephi, in the Book of Mormon, being of the posterity lineage, you would say, of Joseph, he recognizes that him and this whole story of Lehi being brought into the wilderness was part, it was a description of that scattering of Israel, that they, having those promises, being part of that chosen seed, that they had been separated from Jerusalem and then sent off into a distant land in order to bring the blessings of Abraham and the gospel, blessings that would bless the families of all the earth, into a foreign country. This is just one specific example of many that in the future will unfold of God sending chosen people to different lands in which they can then bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them to bless them. In fact, what is going on in a great and incredible way in our own day and age is that we are seeing the gospel spread out into all nations. We are seeing the same gospel and promises and blessings that were given to Abraham spreading across every continent upon the earth. We are seeing a fulfillment of these promises, these covenants that were made with Abraham. In 1 Nephi chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, we have a very simple description of the gathering and scattering of Israel, more so the gathering component. Nevertheless, when that day cometh, saith the prophet, that they no more turn aside their hearts against the Holy One of Israel, then will he remember the covenants which he made with their fathers. Yea, then he will remember the isles of the sea, yea, and all the people who are of the house of Israel will I gather in, saith the Lord, according to the words and the prophet Zenos, from the four quarters of the earth. From the four quarters of the earth means that this is not just an isolated gathering that would occur in Jerusalem, but that this, this whole concept is going to, to expand beyond just this small little tent of Abraham and, be, and beyond just the city of Jerusalem where the Jews and the house of Israel were residing. But, I mean, this is so beyond what these prophets maybe could have even imagined or dreamed of at that time, how expansive this covenant would be. Because even in our own day and age, we struggle to comprehend the breadth of it all. That these promises, these blessings, would reach all the isles of the sea, all the nations of the earth, in a miraculous and incredible way. And I, that's why I return to that question, is who actually believes in that? You know, it seemed an, a, an obscure article of faith to declare that we believe in the literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the ten tribes that Zion, the new Jerusalem, will be built upon the American continent, and that Christ will reign personally upon the earth, and the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisiacal glory. Now we won't go into detail about the second half of that article of faith, but that first half, 
who actually believes that, who actually believes in the restoration of the Ten Tribes. This being perhaps the greatest subject in all of biblical scripture who actually has retained that knowledge, who actually remembers that. And thank goodness, thank the Lord that we have the Book of Mormon that has brought these things to our remembrance, that has fulfilled the duty which it was set out to do to help us remember the covenants which were made with Abraham. So let's look a little bit deeper into what some of these phrases mean. What does it mean to bless all the nations of the earth? But let's look a little bit deeper into some of the phrases of the promises that were given to Abraham. And the reason that we're going to do this is because it's quite helpful for our understanding. And so let's look at the specific blessing that was given to Abraham wherein it was promised to him that he would be made a great nation. So what happened to Israel? When did this great nation appear? This notion gets resurfaced in the book of Exodus with Moses, because we have the whole story of Joseph in Egypt. Israel comes to Egypt. They stay there. And eventually, over time, over years, the Israelites are no longer in favor with the Egyptians, and the Egyptians enslave the children of Israel, and Moses liberates them. In that liberation, we read in, it says in Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me, above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Is the holy nation the great nation? What is greatness? How does God define greatness? Was God just trying to develop a nation that would have incredible political power? That would be great in terms of its size, in terms of its economic prosperity? Because if so, then David perhaps was the fulfillment of that, and the Jerusalem of old was fulfillment of the great nation that was promised that would come through Abraham. But it seems interesting that in Moses, the, the direction shifts. We're not talking about greatness in terms of size, political, economic power. What we're looking at, perhaps, is that God would make a nation that would be holy. Is that what is meant by the idea of a great nation? Well, considering that all things are spiritual to God, and the more that we understand God and his intentions and his motivations, perhaps that is the case. In fact, consider this phrase. This comes from Titus chapter 2, verse 14. If there's one thing that I'll probably go down in memory for those who have met me and listened to me teach over the years, it'll probably be for my emphasis of Titus ch chapter 2, verse 14. Um, this is the only verse that I can remember from the book of Titus, and um, I remember reading it, and I probably read past it two or three times, and it just never caught me from what it was saying. It states here, it, we'll go to 13 first to get a little bit of context. It says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Why did Christ die? Why did Christ give himself? Why did he offer himself a sacrifice? Well, the first part of that we all know and understand. 
he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the cleansing of sins. But then what? Is that all? Is that all that the atonement was designed to do? That's that sacrifice, that act of pure charity that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the end of it all? Is that the telos of the atonement? Interestingly, Titus continues and says that Christ gave himself for us that he might purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So there is in there the whole notion of organized religion. It is not just this individual subjective quest, which God will do and redeem us in an individual way, but the religion does not end there. The, the design of it all was to create a great nation, something which, if you again look at many of the religions of the world, perhaps you could make an argument that less than five of them have that focus, that make a claim that perhaps that they are chosen, a peculiar people, that they are trying to create some sort of holy community beyond just a holy individual, but a holy community, a holy nation, that who actually believes that? This is why this is so important, because this to me, as I said, is one of the cornerstones of my foundation and my faith in the Church of Jesus Christ. Because if you just believe in this subjective individual thing, then, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say that that makes that not real. A person goes out into the wilderness alone, seeking God, and has comes back saying they had this tremendous, powerful experience. I wouldn't deny the idea that they had a powerful experience or try to rob them of that. I believe that probably what he experienced was real. But then what? Perhaps we should recall the words that came from Christ when he said, By their fruits ye shall know them. What was the end of that vision? What was that end of that experience he had out in the woods from fasting and seeking God? Again, perhaps he did find some cleansing of his own soul, some connection with God. But then, two years later, he's probably out smoking, drinking, fornicating, cursing the world and the earth. A lot of good that experience amounted to. What of the spiritual experiences of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What good has come from them? In fact, the good that would come from them is that all the nations of the world would be blessed. It wasn't just limited to this small, small circle of influence. In fact, when you think about it, how can you measure the Spirit of God? How can you identify if what is working within you is the Spirit of God? Now, of course, it will redeem you. That is the first step. But what beyond that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to bless the individual, but also to organize a peculiar people, a holy nation. It was mentioned in Exodus. It's mentioned there in Titus. It's mentioned over and over and over again throughout all of scriptures. It's all enmeshed in the general idea of the gathering and scattering of Israel. Because what this whole gathering, what the whole gathering involves is a holy nation being developed, a holy nation being organized, drawn from the four quarters of the earth. Where, where what? That's the question. What, what defines a holy nation? What does this mean? A peculiar people, a peculiar, when we look at the word peculiar, peculiar is the word segala in Hebrew. It is a special treasure, one which someone would give anything for. And we think about that 
in terms of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That this idea of a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a holy people, that gets expanded upon in Peter when he spoke of a royal priesthood, that this dream and this vision is something that Christ gave himself for. He gave his life for. He gave his life for the individual, but also for the community, for the group, for the holy nation. When you consider this and you start to read through the Old Testament, you'll find that this notion, this vision and dream is woven in through all of the Old Testament. A dream to create a holy nation. A dream that failed over and over and over and over again. If you actually do read the Old Testament, you'll find that they were quite horrible at trying to establish this. And I, I'm, though I'm laughing, I'm, I mean, it's not like we're doing, I mean, we're doing all right, I'd say, hopefully all right in today's world, but we still have our shortcomings. I wouldn't be so hard on the children of Israel and the stories of the Old Testament where they go through the undulation of rise and fall, forgetting the Lord, that it gives much, I think, understanding to our own undulation as the church of Jesus Christ continues to expand and grow, that we may be knocked back on our behind a few times and have to get back up, just as the journey to the promised land for Lehi's family was full of twists and turns, affliction, wading through these deserty areas that it's not just this beeline, not this perfectly paved course on the way to the promised land, the development of Zion. And the, the idea of Zion, where does this fit into that? Because what, what is it that defines a great and holy nation? It's where we have the terminology of Zion. So what is Zion and what is a great and holy nation? The phrase that is the most, I would say the most, the most potent and powerful verses that describe what the holy nation is. You can find, I think the first occurrence would be in Leviticus 26, verse 12. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. This phrase that I will be your God and ye shall be my people recurs multiple times throughout the Old Testament. It occurs in the New Testament as well. This is for me, when I, if someone were to ask me what the covenant that God has made with our fathers in the most simple way, that would be the, the phrase that I would use. What is the covenant that God has made? The covenant that God has made is that I will be your God and ye will be my people, remembering and emphasizing the idea of people, that it's not just one person out there doing random acts of kindness, that it is an organization, a congregation, a group of believers, a mutual faith combined to push back the forces of evil, to push back the adversary himself, Satan, and all of his influence in the world, the evil in the world, because that is what it's going to take in order to do that. Who are the people of God? We read that Zion, Zion is the people of God, and the Lord called his people Zion, we read in the book of Moses. So one way of maybe switching the words around is, I will be their God, and they will be Zion. So the covenant of Abraham, somewhere in there, this, this nation that would be developed, this holy nation, which we read from Moses, is the nation of Zion. I will create Zion. So is this the Abrahamic covenant? The interesting thing is if you do a little bit more digging, you'll find that the covenant is not just an Abrahamic covenant. It goes way, way back, way, way back as far as we can even remember. 
In fact, in Doctrine and Covenants 107, verse 42, from Adam to Seth, who was ordained by Adam at the age of 69, and was blessed by him three years previous to Adam's death, and received the promise by his father that his posterity should be the chosen of the Lord, and that they should be preserved unto the end of the earth. Much in the old, old times, talking of of Adam and his posterity, the chosen generation would just be chosen to be alive. <laughs> You'd be preserved. But it is also curious that this chosen aspect existed all the way from Adam as he passes down a covenant promised blessing down to Seth. If you follow this, it actually gets passed on and on and on down all the way to Enoch. And Enoch is significant because if you were to read through in the JST on Genesis, we have a great covenant and promise that was made, a great promise that was made to Enoch. Genesis 9, 21 through 25. I probably won't read all of it. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I remember the everlasting covenant which I made unto thy father Enoch, that when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth. So think about that. I will be their God. What does it mean to have God to be your God? If you keep his commandments, what you're doing is you're acting out the notion that God truly is your God. And when men should keep all my commandments, then what would happen? Zion would come again on the earth. They shall be my people. If you recall in the Leviticus phrase, it said specifically that the Lord would dwell among them. The city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant. So this phrase is peculiar because we talk about the Abrahamic covenant. Now for me, I just say the Abrahamic covenant was a renewal of a covenant that was made to Enoch, a covenant that was made to Noah, perhaps a covenant that was initially made to Adam. This was all part of the vision and the plan, beginning with our first father. And what is the name of the covenant? The everlasting covenant. And this can be distinct from the new and everlasting covenant. And perhaps another lesson would be deserved to discuss maybe some of the correlation between the two. But for now, we'll just say the everlasting covenant. What is the everlasting covenant and what is the Abrahamic covenant? It is that when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come upon the earth, that I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this is my everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy, and the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth, and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I have made with thy father Enoch. And then, what this so this story in Genesis is actually talking about Noah. So Noah inherits that, and perhaps it goes from Noah to Shem, or I think that's yeah, Noah to Shem, who some believe is Melchizedek, and Melchizedek gave those blessings to Abraham, and it goes all the way back to Adam, and that's a pretty cool idea here. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? What is God trying to accomplish through the atonement of Jesus Christ? This is an incredible vision. I love, just as a side note, the idea of what is the symbol of this covenant? Because God has given us a sign of the covenant, the Abrahamic or everlasting covenant, and it's a rainbow. 
That's why I love my birthdays in June, and every June I get to see rainbow flags everywhere. And I look at all those flags and I just remember the everlasting covenant that God has promised and given a covenant that Zion would again return to the earth. And every June, my birthday month, I get to look at all the flags and remember that Zion will come again. That I remember the Abrahamic covenant. I remember the goal and aim of God to develop a holy nation. And I remember that the goal and aim of the Church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is to save the individual, to redeem the individual, but also to redeem a nation and make a nation holy. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. We have a tremendous amount to live up to, but God has promised us. And so as we look at the ideas of the covenant, it starts to expand some of the other phrases and verses. In 1 Nephi 19 verse 17, we read that all nations shall see the salvation. Isaiah 40 verse 5 also says the same. What does it mean that all nations would see the salvation? And think about everything that we've discussed today about the promises that were made with Abraham blessing the entire world, that the salvation which was found in Abraham, that gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ being the center, would be extended to all the nations and all nations would see salvation. And we're seeing part of that. Of course, this with Isaiah it refers to multiple, a whole sequence. So the, the capstone of that is when Christ himself comes in the grandeur of the second coming and all nations will see the salvation will will make and that's when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ God will make bare his arm in the eyes of all nations Isaiah 52 and 1 Nephi 22 verse 10 this is also part of God is talking about the gathering of Israel how will God gather Israel it states in 1 Nephi 14, verse 7, that a marvelous work and a wonder would be performed. The marvelous work and a wonder is the work of redeeming Israel, of gathering them together, of trying to bring to pass a chosen generation, a holy nation. This is what a marvelous work was designed to accomplish. It's the dream that it's trying to fulfill. It is the promise that we are not cast off forever. A phrase found in the title page. And then, O house of Israel, behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north, and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. If you want to look up the land of Sinim, it's interesting that I think it's it might be either in the topical guide or Bible dictionary, it puts in parentheses China. Um, perhaps that would be interesting if China was isolated in that, but usually it just says from the west and from the east, but for some reason in the Isaiah verse it states the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, for the feet of those who are in the east shall be established, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for they shall be smitten no more, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But behold, Zion hath said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me, but he will show that he hath not. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, 
Yet will I not forget thee, O house of Israel. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Ye are not cast off forever. Behold, Zion hath said, the Lord hath forsaken me. That vision and that dream had been lost for generations. Such a plain and precious truth that was lost, that has been restored through the prophet Joseph Smith, that has been restored through a marvelous work and a wonder, that marvelous work and a wonder being the Book of Mormon, has restored the covenants, has restored a knowledge, has helped us remember the covenants, the promise of God and the redemption that comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ, that God truly will purify you through his atonement, through the blood of the Son of God, but also that God would redeem a nation, a chosen generation, a peculiar people. These are the covenants of the Lord. And this I believe and share with you. Amen. Your support for this podcast is greatly appreciated. Thank you. You can support this podcast by purchasing one of my books, The Divine Nature or His Voice, The Teachings of the Old and New Testament. These books can be purchased on Amazon or by visiting my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. Thank you and God bless.